The verses that we're going to be reading are probably one of them, one of the most misunderstood, misrepresented verses, actually. Have you ever heard anybody say, don't judge me? Do not judge. Don't judge me. And what, we're trying to say, what they're actually trying to say is, I, w- I want to kind of carry on doing what I want to do without you giving me any kind of, of glaring look. Um, there, there's, so there's this sense of which, um, actually, even non-Christians know even part of this verse, this, this, the opening verse of, of Matthew 7. So should we read it, and then we'll get straight into some of the things that I think Jesus is trying to get at and address in our own lives. So do not judge so you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but do not notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there is a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your, your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Do not give uh, what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet. Turn and tear you to pieces. Uh, yeah. Happy Sunday, everyone. <laughs> Uh, Jesus doesn't mince his words, does he? I think we've been looking at and saying this. As we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, we really see how Jesus drills in at some of the very practical things of life. Now, this uh, don't, don't judge doesn't come with any sort of practical outworking. So don't judge in this area or don't judge in this area. It just says don't, don't judge. What does that, so what does that actually mean? And we're going to explore that this morning. Uh, but it's, it's important to bear in mind that Jesus is addressing the, the Christian community, he's addressing disciples, and he wants to address the, Pharise- the, the easily slipped-in Pharisaical attitudes that we can have uh, when, we, when, we, uh, when we think about our lives and in relation to others. And so that, that idea of holding, we holding other people to a higher standard than we're not even keeping ourselves, that we're not able to keep, is that attitude of judging others according to how they live. Um, so it's one of the, um, actually this, uh, this whole area is, is highlighted, I think, in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And how he actually, some of the things that he writes helps us to understand what Jesus is trying to address in the do not judge bit. Anybody, anybody read 1 Corinthians lately? No. Anybody ever read 1 Corinthians? Okay, good. Okay. So if you've read it, you'll be aware that some, uh, Paul addresses some really meaty issues, doesn't he? Now, I don't know about you, but I read that and I look, I, Paul, you're, 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 you're judging you're, you're laying down some law about how people are behaving. And he, he addresses some really, um, really is, big issues that actually are, are having an effect upon the community. So Paul's exercising some wisdom and some judgment upon people's behavior based upon what is happening in the, in the community of God's people. Um, he addresses people who are puffed up with knowledge thinking that they're better than others and we don't know anybody like that do we uh, no no good okay um, he addresses an issue with a, an immoral brother 
who it's said is sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmother. Now, I hope we don't know anybody's doing that. This is a, so these are issues that Paul is beginning to address. Paul exercises some judgment. So how are we to understand what Jesus is saying when he says, do not judge? Is he really saying don't judge anybody's actions or attitudes or behaviors? Is that what Jesus is really saying? Is he saying just let anything go so that, well, you can't be accused of being judgmental, can you? It's not actually what Jesus is driving at. Um, he's driving at the, because the, uh, Jesus is actually concerned about the formation of our inner lives, which gives shape to our interactions with our brothers and sisters. If you see Jesus throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's addressing our relationship with God and our relationship to one another. How we interact with one another is crucially important. One is a believing community as it gives witness to the the world in which we live. And so it's not only do our interactions with one another matter, our interactions with, with the world matters. Now, um, for those who aren't followers of Jesus, are we to hold them to the same standard that we, as, as a follower of Jesus, I would, I'm to hold myself to? No. Thank you, Meg, for giving me a little nod. Because we're not. We, we can't hold people who are, who are not yet followers of Jesus to the same standards that we would have on, upon ourselves. Never mind anybody else. I'm talking about our own standard of following Jesus in light of how we understand it, what it is to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to walk in the way of Jesus. We can't hold people to the same, uh, who don't follow Jesus to that same standard. And neither are we to judge them because they don't know any better. So we can't, so we, you know, on all that, we're against this and we're against others. Well, actually, if people haven't been instructed and, and taught and shown a better story, how can we proclaim, pronounce judgment on them? Do we agree with everything that people do? That's another matter, isn't it? Because I think we can, we can love people, not pronounce judgment, without being agreeable to what they do. It's just how we behave and interact. But in the Christian community, in our community, how are we to live this out? Because actually there are some behaviors that we exhibit and that we hold to and that we do that are not always helpful. Has anybody ever been on the receiving end of an unhelpful behavior of somebody who's meant to be a, meant to be a follower of Jesus? Yes, we all have. Because we're all, we're all a little bit messy. We've all got stuff in our lives that Jesus wants to work on. That's why I think Jesus is most, important, most concerned about what happens in us. Because what happens in us begins to work its way out in our actions and attitudes and our behaviors towards others. So he's addressing the, the formation. I think Jesus is addressing motivation and the manner in which we give and receive correction. That'll be, I think that'll become clear as we go through. Nobody likes to be corrected, do they? Oh, Mary, you like to be corrected. Yeah, in your job, yes. Yeah, yeah, in your job, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, if, okay, if, yeah, if there's an improve, if there's an opportunity to improve and grow something, but we, we often don't like to be corrected when it comes to areas of our personality or character because that can be painful, can't it? Or again, is that just me like offloading my stuff? Like, <laughs> like, because 
it's, it's, it's painful when actually somebody goes, you know what, I've noticed this about your character, about what, the way you respond to somebody when that happens, this is what I observe. And it can be painful because it brings us into the realization that we're not perfect. That actually we've got, we have got stuff that God, by his grace, wants to work in us. And so Jesus is addressing the motivation of our hearts. And so there is, a, uh, there, there is actually a better story. There is actually a better way to live. And I think Jesus, in his grace, is pointing people to a better story. So in verses 1 to 2, Jesus seems to outline this law of sowing and reaping again, which is a common theme, isn't it, in Scripture? You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Like love one another, serve one another. Why? Not because we just want to get back, but because it's a demonstration of God's activity and grace and work in our lives. And so the sowing and reaping principle is seen throughout Scripture. This is, this, uh, in verses 1 and 2, it, 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 Jesus goes with, it could be taken in a positive and a negative manner. So if we show judgment and sow judgment on others and we're always picking fault on other people and we're, we're kind of you know sometimes it's the things in other people that that actually in us that irritate us most about other people because we kind of see it in them and we can't see it in ourselves but it really irritates us and everybody else is going hello and so what we sow we reap sowing love and grace and mercy and kindness will we reap the very same I think I think we will but why and how do we get there well in, Ma- in Matthew f- uh, 5 7 Jesus said this didn't he blessed are the merciful that for they shall be shown mercy I think Jesus is trying to drive out this self-awareness actually of our own lives and our own behaviors before we ever begin to address anything in other, other people. The question is, are we, doing the, are we doing the deep work in our own lives with the Spirit before we do start doing the deep work in the, in the lives of other people? Because there can be so much damage done by overstepping the mark when we've actually not done the work in our own lives to make sure that we're operating in a way that actually is honoring and befitting of Christ. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Now, remember this, Jesus is addressing believers. So there's a, there's a baseline understanding that we've come to receive mercy. That we've come to acknowledge, actually, we are in need of mercy. If you just take a moment to pause, not on the past stuff, like not, not stuff that happened way before the, this last week that has just been, but if you take a moment just to pause and think about this last week, how were some of those interactions at work? How did you respond to some maybe harsh criticism? How did you respond to the pressure that's building? How did you interact with other people? What was going on in your own life? And daily, we come before him, don't we? And we say, God, may your grace and your mercy be sufficient for today. Because there isn't a, a day that goes by when we don't act in a way, think in a way, do something that may be conceived to not marry up and align with God's purposes and God's, God's ways. 
unless, of course, again, I'm just talking out my own stuff and you're living each week absolutely perfect with no, no error and no reliant upon mercy. We rely daily upon mercy. And so when we understand that we have been forgiven much, like in that first instance of coming to faith in Jesus, when we say, do you know what, I, am, I actually am a sinner. There's stuff in me that separates my, my, understand, my, my relationship with God, my ability to receive and give love, the stuff that gets in the way. Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. When we do that, all the stuff is put on Jesus and we receive his mercy. So in the, in the moment of salvation, in that moment when we put our trust in Jesus, we receive mercy. Because we, that means we don't get what we do deserve. And so having received mercy, when we understand the depth of his mercy upon us, how much he's forgiven us, how much his grace extends towards us, then actually enables us to think and act in a way that is merciful towards others. That is if we've rightly understood and received that mercy of Jesus. I read, was in preparation for this, I was reading a commentator and I thought this is really helpful about the way that we can think on these, these terms and how to help and shape our interactions with other people. He, says, um, he said this, avoid saying what is untrue, avoid saying what is unnecessary, and avoid saying what is unkind. I thought that's quite an interesting way to think about how we can live that life of mercy and interaction with other people. Because actually, the, the, sometimes some things have to be said, but is it untrue? Don't say it. Is it, is it, is it necessary to say? Is it just that it irritates you? Like, because sometimes people do things that just irritate Yes? Like, I, just ask Rachel. Like, there, there'll be things that I, that I do that just irritate. It's not sinful, it's just an irritant to her. And I do try to change. But it, there's, there's things that irritate us. So we've got to ask the question, is this just my thing? Or is this a sinful thing? Is this just something that grates at me? Or actually, is there a bigger issue that's having a wider effect upon other people that actually begins to need to be addressed? And therefore, it might be true, and therefore it might need to be said in a kind way. So um, let's look at the, the poison of hypocrisy. Because actually, I think hypocrisy is at the heart and the root of this. Pretending to be something that we are not. Now, Jonathan, I'm going to give a little shameless plug for your play <laughs> that you're in. So Jonathan, Jonathan is, is, going to be, is, is playing the character of Macbeth in the, the, the play of the same name. Jonathan is going to pretend to be Macbeth. So when he gets on, hopefully. Oh, come on, I'm trying to big you up here, Jonathan, like with your dra dra drama, uh, right? So Jonathan is going to put on the costume, I assume. Yep. Now I'm definitely coming. <laughs> so he's going to put on the costume. He's going to learn the lines. He's going to learn the lines. And he's going to pretend to take on this character of Macbeth. But off the platform, he isn't Macbeth. He is pretending to be a character. He is Jonathan. And if he tries to be Macbeth off the platform, that's going to be a bit weird. 
isn't it? Going to be a bit weird. Yes. So hypocrisy is pretending to be something that we're not and thinking we're really that thing. Because sometimes we can be a little bit delusional about those things. Can be a, bit, a little bit delusional about who we really are because we've not done some of the, the reflective work of actually how do I really behave? How do I really come across? And we can put up a front and a mask that pretends that everything is fine and that we are okay and we're gonna hold everybody to a higher standard but actually deep down, we know there's some stuff in our lives that God needs to address. And so hypocrite, hypocrite holds somebody to a higher standard than they themselves are willing to hold themselves to in the quiet and the secret place. One of the greatest commentaries on this idea is found in uh, 2 Samuel 12 verses 1 to 7. And if, you don't, if you've never read that passage, it's, it's where David is, uh, and the prophet Nathaniel comes to David and tells him a story. In fact, should we read it? Because it might be helpful. I want to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Okay, so the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had brought. He raised her and she grew up with him and with his children. From his meager food she would eat and from his cup she would drink and in his arms she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man uh, could not bring himself to uh, take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for uh, for his guest. David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die because he has done this thing and shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. You ready for it? Nathan replied to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah and if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I, what I considered e- consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. Now, therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them another before your very eyes and he will, we- uh, he will sleep uh, with them in broad daylight. You act in- acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel and in broad daylight. David responded to Nathan. It, w- it was him. No, David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. Then Nathan went home. Brutal, isn't it? I just absolutely... 
Nathan coming to David and, and calling out his sin. Do you see the way and the manner in which he did it? There were consequences for David's sin. The mercy and the kindness of God was there because he said, against the Lord I have sinned. He took ownership for his wrongdoing. He took ownership for his hypocrisy. You see, the, the thing about the hypocrite is it will wreck your soul. It'll harden your heart so that you're not able to see clearly your, yours and, my, and my, my need for mercy if we hold other people to a standard that we ourselves are not able to keep. So this is, a, this is really a problem of self-awareness. Being aware of our own need for God. See, this hypocrisy, this judgmentalism upon others can lead us into a, a, a place where we start to play God and pronounce judgments on people. We're not God. So this carries with it this sense of like finality of judgment, writing somebody off. Passing sentence, as if we are the ones who are able to pass sentence. That's not our role. That's not our job to determine somebody standing before God. It's his. But there are some indicators. And there are some things that I think we need to look out in order to be discerning about what God is doing in and through somebody's life. Because not every, ble- every sheep that bleats is a sheep. And so it, as we go through the rest of this chapter, we're going to look at um, how we begin to discern what we're looking for as followers of Jesus. Because Jesus actually addresses in Matthew 7 uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. And so we need to be discerning about who's around us. But how do we do that? We're not to determine who's, who's somebody standing before God, but actually we are to be discerning in our understanding of, of how our interactions one with another affect the community. So the antidote to hypocrisy, verse five. Um, Let me turn back to Matthew's gospel. And verse five says this. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Now, you've ever seen this like really silly illustration? Imagine, I've got a plank of wood in my eye If we, if, if, we, if we go and try and take something out of somebody's eye, a little speck of dust, and we've not dealt with the plank that's in our own eye, we are going to do far more damage by addressing the, uh, the splinter in their eye than if, we, uh, than if we don't address our own. We'll do more damage to other people because we've not addressed the issues in our own heart. So Jesus says, Jesus actually indicates that we are going to have to help one another grow as Christ followers. We are actually going to have to assess where we are if we want to grow because we can't just let everything run. Because if we are a 
card-carrying follower of Jesus and we're saying, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer, no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We are saying, I have set my course. And actually, we need each other to be able to go, do you know what? There's some stuff in our lives that we need to address. But let's do it in a spirit of gentleness and kindness. Let's do it in a way that isn't passing judgment, isn't trying to set ourselves up as superior over one another, but because we've done the work and keep doing the work of addressing the stuff in our own lives, we can actually then move into a position where we can say, Jonathan, do you know what? I can just see a little... Sorry, you sit on the front row, you're going to get picked on. Um, do, you get, do you get what I'm trying to say? So, so we, we, we do the self-analysis, not, not navel-gazing, not woe is me kind of self-pity, but using that, that, that reflective practice to draw us back to the gospel, to draw us back to the one who is merciful and kind, who is able to transform and to redeem, who is able to remove the plank from our eye in order that we might see more clearly. So every time we become aware of something in our own lives, it's an opportunity for us to grow in the grace of God. Not to beat ourselves up with or to beat other people up with. This enables us to grow in the grace of God. The other, like the, the, some of the antidote is this. So John, John, uh, 1 John 5 uh, 1 John 1, 5 to 10 says this. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one, one with another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from, from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and, and, and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the, the more real that we can be about the stuff in our own lives, the greater the level of light will flood in. Because if we hold stuff in darkness, we'll continue to pretend to have it all together. But if we are honest before God and others and allow the activity of spirit, His Spirit to bring light to our lives, and we can just honestly before God, you know, say, Lord, this is a, this is a thing. Because He knows already. I love the way that as we read through the Gospels, we see Jesus knowing what's in a person's heart. Only Jesus could do that. And only Jesus knows that. And he knows what's in us. So the longer we hide it, the darker it becomes. So the best thing for us is to bring it into the light. Because actually as his light floods in, his transformation begins and continues because the more that we walk with Jesus, the more we become aware of the stuff in us that is darkness that allows his light to come in. Now, if you're, if you're a child of God, you have passed over from darkness to light. You are assured to be, you are his. It's guaranteed and sealed by the Spirit. But we all come with some residue. 
We all come with some stuff that God needs to work in us. And so the more that we walk with him, the more the reality of that light invading our lives becomes, becomes evident to us and to those around us. So the antidote is honesty. The antidote is confession. The antidote is to say, Jesus, you are the righteous one. I am reliant upon your mercy because then it means that as we operate in community, we can do, as as Paul writes in Galatians 6 verse 1, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken by any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit watching out for yourselves so that you won't, won't be, won't, also won't be tempted. You who are spiritual. So this, uh, this growth journey in us. Has anybody ever been corrected by a really new Christian? No, anybody ever like had somebody try, you know, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. You know, and, and you, you're very aware of your own shortcomings and failures and you know, you, there's been a deep work of grace in your life and you get some really enthusiastic, you know, bless them, really new Christian, come in and go, I've seen this. And it's like coming at, a, at you with a plank in their own eye. Now, for the mature, for, for the mature Christian, there is a, an appropriate response to go, hang on, yeah, I see that. How would you respond if somebody did that to you? Would you go, oh, let me tell you about a plank? (laughs) Or would you go, oh, that's really kind of you. Thank you. It's been been something that God's been working on me of late. So I I noticed that you've you've seen something. How would the response be? Because I think the latter is a response of somebody who's maturing in Christ and secure in the mercy of God who can then come alongside the the immature Christian and go, let me, can can I help you? Can I walk with you a little bit? Let me tell you what it looks like to walk with Jesus. And you begin the journey of discipling somebody in the way of Jesus because there's a level of maturity that comes having done some of the deep work of Jesus. Now, the key, the key for this is, in a, like Paul writes, in a gentle spirit. Like gentleness is actually one of the fruits of the spirit. It's a, it's a mark and a character of Christ is to be gentle with one another. But if we leave stuff unaddressed, it is one of the most unkind acts. If we don't actually address stuff in our lives that is hindering us becoming all that God's called us to be, I think that's an unkind environment. I think we have to create environments where we provoke one another in a really healthy way to godliness. That we call out the stuff that is hindering us in, in relationships that are loving. Because if it's not done in love, don't do it at all. Don't say it, don't act on it, just hold it. And you do the work in your own heart before you call it out in somebody else's. If it's not done in love, we shouldn't do it. Because it will cause damage, hurt, and unnecessary pain to others. So the goal for OCC is that we do indeed create a community of people who are growing together with Jesus, on mission with Jesus, to demonstrate to the watching world what it looks like to be a, to be a, a Christ follower, to speak what is true with kindness and gentleness and grace, to enable one of, each one of us to grow in, 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 in him.
And then he says these words in Matthew, 5, uh, Matthew 7, verse 6. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs. They will trample under their, under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. So don't judge. Do the work in your own heart before you address something to others. So what's Jesus saying here? Like do- dogs and, uh, as one commentator put it, he says, the, the dogs and the hogs. Like, don't, don't cast what is holy before those who have no regard for what is holy. Now, he's not saying that we should call, uh, we shouldn't call people dogs and hogs, all right? It's just, it's just rude, all right? But in the day, to call somebody a dog, in fact, that's what Gentiles were often referred to by the Jews, dogs, is to, is to label somebody, somebody feral, scravaging around in the scraps of the street looking for food, vicious. And then you, the pigs, the, the, the thing about the pigs was that they would often feast on like decaying flesh. And they would run, sometimes run wild in, in towns and villages, and, and they, they would actually cause real damage and hurt people. They say, like, uncontrolled, wild, no, dis, no regard for people or others, and, and they just vile. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Don't have anything, don't cast what is holy before such people. Now, what does that, what does, what does that actually mean for us? Because actually we want to be kind and generous and patient and loving to people, don't we? We want people to come to faith in Jesus. We want, we want to be able to communicate the good news to people and say, look, this is, this is life, this is hope, this is true. But there are some people, after so much time and effort and energy, are still not interested. In fact, there are some people who will cause difficulty and problems and trial and, and, and actually persecute you. So what's Jesus trying to say? He's saying there actually comes an appropriate moment where with such people you can move on. You can actually pass a, a judgment or discern what's going on in order that you may move on to somewhere more fruitful more open now with all of that we keep praying don't we because we've got to pray for those who persecute those who are far off we've got to pray that God's kingdom would break into the heart but actually in terms of the opportunities before us and I would say that this this is probably one of the key aspects I think for discipleship is that we cannot force anybody to do anything we can't, we can't force anybody to follow Jesus. We can't force our thoughts and opinions on others. We're looking for openness. We're looking for saying, actually, I want to follow Jesus, both within the community and beyond. We want to see people who are open to us and to the message. And so Jesus is saying, look, there comes a point where you just, you do have to, we have to be a discerning community of where are we going to focus our effort and our energy you see, our, 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 our desire, isn't it, is, is to plant gospel communities, one gospel community for every thousand people. And we've talked about Ox Hill. 
Like, wouldn't it be amazing that in the years to come, we could plant a gospel community in Ox Hill? That would be great. We might, we might think about Welford or Wellsbourne, and we go, actually, it'd be great to do that. But if we start to do mission and we recognize and realize at that moment in time, we're not really welcome there, are we going to keep going back where we keep getting beaten up and trampled and trodden on? No, there'll come a point where you've got to go, actually, not yet. So we look for open doors. And the same is true, I think, what Jesus is saying when it comes to addressing the stuff in our lives. Who's open? Are we open? Are we open to allow the Spirit of God to transform us and change us so that we might become increasingly merciful? So there's some questions to consider as we draw to a close. What relationships do you have where there's a level of openness and honesty, not just to be able to hang out and have fun together, but a space where you're provoking one another to growth, where you can say, say some hard, hard things in a kind way. What relationships do you have? Have you got them? If not, if you have great development, if not, why not? What is it that's hindering you from taking those steps? This is, this is really difficult because it's about vulnerability, isn't it? It's about an authenticity of our lives that takes, allows the mass to drop and, and just go, this is the real me. It's, da- it's, it's dangerous almost, isn't it? Because, well, what would people really think if they knew the real me? Will they still like me? Will they still love me? But I think there's no other way for us to grow other than to cultivate those, those kind of relationships that enable us to become everything that Jesus called us to be, not from a position of earning, but because we've already got it available to us in and through his, his salvation being worked out in our lives. So the other question is, we've been working through this, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Is there an area of your life that the Holy Spirit has prov- prodded at and provoked that he wants to shed light on? so that freedom might come? Has there been something that's grabbed your attention that you're going, yeah, that's an issue for me? Have you tried to push it aside or have you embraced it to allow the spirit to do what he needs to do? And maybe, just maybe, finding some other people to help with that process. Trusted people, people who you know love you and want the best for you. Maybe, just maybe, the breakthrough comes in sharing that with others. So some actions to consider. Why don't you consider, if you, uh, for those of you who, some of you have been on the, um, the School of Formation over the last few months, why don't those, some of you who've not gone through that yet, why don't you consider joining the School of Formation in January where we'll, we'll take you through a 12-month period and process of time exploring what it looks like to a, a, a form our lives around the rhythms of Jesus and the, and the spiritual formation of the innermost parts. That's what the aim and objective is, to provide some tools and, and a framework in which we can, that can be an ongoing process. Maybe you could consider that. 
we'll get some more information about that in the in the coming weeks where you'll be able to sign up and, and know exactly what you're signing up for but you can talk to people who have been on it um, if you're if you're currently on that just give us a little wave um, so if you want to know some more about that just speak to anyone who's on the who's just given a little hand up um, or you can consider joining uh, as well as maybe um, joining a uh, with a missional household. The, the goal, the dream for our missional households is that we will indeed multiply, that we'll create more spaces for people to live this authentic life with Jesus on mission together, not simply in holy huddles doing Bible studies, um, this important part of life together, but that we're actually on mission together, reaching out to those who are far from God, who want to be around us, by the way, just have a read of Luke chapter 10, and Jesus's mandate and mission to the disciples and how he operated with his disciples in mission. We want to create those spaces. And so if you're not in a missional household and you'd like to be, um, we can try we can try to create some space within the existing missional households at Tiddington, Stratford, Ulster, and Studley. Um, but we, we want to create some space. So if you're not involved in one, come and have a chat with me and we'll try and connect you in because they're the spaces that genuine, authentic friendships and relationships are built and we provoke one another to keep going, to stand firm, to grow in Christ-likeness. So there's some thoughts, some options. I'll maybe put some of those out in an email to you this week for you to consider. But I want to give you a moment to pause. Because I've said a lot, and I've said it quickly. What's the Spirit of God doing in you? Not thinking about your neighbor, not thinking about anybody else, but your life, my life. What's he putting his finger upon? that he might want to allow the light of Christ to shine in. Jesus, we thank you for your kindness. You are so patient with us. And we see it through the Gospels, just the way that you interact with those who had committed their way to following you, with, with Thomas and with Peter and others that you, you, you interact with, just demonstrating your, your patience when they didn't understand, when they made mistakes, when they sinned and they let you down. You... You demonstrated mercy. Lord, I thank you that this morning mercy is available. Your mercy is available and fresh this morning, fresh this day for us. So Lord, I pray that as we bring those things to you, that your Holy Spirit is highlighting in us, that you want to bring change to, that you'd help us to open up our lives to you, that your light might, might flood in. That, Lord, we may help one another with, with gentleness, with kindness, to grow into all that you've purposed us to be for your glory, not simply within our community, but in the town in which you've called us to be a part of, that your glory may be made known through transformed and changed lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.